Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people. Your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. Welcome to Marin Costello Radio. We have a very special guest on the show today, my dear friend, Caleb Campbell. And Caleb, I have to tell you that the about me section on your website was so moving that I'm just going to read an excerpt from it. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm, I don't even know what it's on there, actually. So this is interesting. I forgot. <laughs> Story time. In 2008, I graduated the United States Military Academy at West Point and was commissioned as an officer in the United States Army with 972 other cadets. The difference between me and them is that while the majority of them were sent to war, I went to the NFL. Not knowing at the time, but I was about to fight my own war and it almost cost me my life. Mm. I know some of you might be new here and probably trying to put the pieces together with how and why a 6'2", 240-pound ex-NFL athlete with the neck the size of some people's thighs is always smiling and talking about vulnerability and inner healing. So let me formally introduce myself. My name is Caleb and I grew up on a farm in Texas where I walked a pig. Yes, a pig. I also played football and I was kind of good. Football landed me at West Point where I would start all four years and make national news when I became the second player in the history of West Point to get drafted in the NFL. But it was in the NFL, the middle of my childhood dream and the very thing I've been chasing my entire life that I began to self-destruct. Like a bomb, the NFL applied just enough pressure on my heart and it left my life in fragments. Knowing that something needed to change, I somehow found the courage to make a soulful shift that would forever change my life. Through a series of unexpected events, I found myself packing my bags and moving to Canada, where I would become a glorified janitor of a church so that I could begin to heal the emotional trauma that was keeping me stuck and miserable in life. I slept on the basement floor of a boiler room, worked for a church, and created the physical and emotional space that was needed for me to begin to expand my life consciously. It was through this deep despair and frustration that I began to reach new levels of healing by learning how to grieve these unmet expectations of where I thought I should be in life or what I, or what I thought my life should look like and radically accept my life here and now in the present moment. Now it's a passion of mine to help others begin to expand their lives or to step into the more consciously and by becoming more emotionally aware, present and connected to people. Ladies and gentlemen, Caleb Campbell. Uh, it's been a journey, Marin. It's been a journey. I was like, how do I paraphrase this? I can't. I'm just going to read the whole thing. It's story time, ladies and gentlemen. It is story time with Marin and Caleb. Uh, that is, I mean, I, I don't even want to. Yeah, I mean, the human experience is so hmm. difficult once you actually get into it. But I'm just so grateful that that you have decided to open up. I feel like it, you know, it did pave the way to your career, but knowing you, I feel like knowing you during slash after, I mean, the growth is, the journey's never over. The growth is never right. done, but it's just been such an honor to know you going through those steps. Well, thank you. Honestly, thank you. That means a lot. I just, when, even when you're reading that and as I'm listening to my own story, it's always, the powerful part about healing is you can look back at your life and be like, oh, it all belongs. Mm -hmm. Like that moment of deep despair, that moment of deep angst and heartbreak 
and loss. Like if we can just learn how to hold our pain consciously and keep an open heart through the journey of healing on the other side, we stand up, we rise up and we can look at our life objectively and be like, Oh, it all belongs. And that's where wisdom is birth, right? And that's where empathy is birth. That's where compassion is birth. Now that I've been able to navigate my own story, and like you said, it's never over. I'm still leaning into new levels of discomfort in my life and and looking at other parts of my story now, I'm able to hold space for other people. I'm able to uh, empathize with other people that might be in the journey as well. And this, I don't know, it just it changes your life, but it can also change so many others. I think that it's so, it's so common. I think we're conditioned as humans to try and escape pain, Mm. but feeling the pain and feeling through the pain is so important, right? Like, I think that for me, that's where the magic lies. It's like when I feel pain or any sort of discomfort, it's like, okay, now it's time to really like hermit and feel it and feel it fully so that one, it doesn't come up irresponsibly. Right. And I don't have like misdirected energy to someone who doesn't necessarily deserve the communication. (laughs) Right. Like, let's just be responsible for our emotions here, but also it's, you know, kind of curiosity for what's on the other side of the pain. Cause that's from, in my experience where the magic lies. Absolutely. That's where breakthrough is. That's where freedom is. That's where, um, I know that's just where we, we can wake up and, and be in our lives. That's where we can wake up and really um, be an active participant in our life, right? We're not, we, we move beyond just from mere reactionary lives, you know, reacting and reacting and reacting to now being present, rooted and grounded and living an aligned life and intentionally creating the life that we want. I love that. You mentioned earlier how, you know, that there's room for everything and that you can objectively look back on your life. This is a little thing that we ask all of our guests. What was little Caleb like? Oh my gosh. I was a pain in the ass. <laughs> Were you? <laughs> no, um, I think from a young age, I was a very, I had such a big heart. I, I long, I, I hurt for those who were hurting, right? Like I remember one day coming home from middle school and just crying my eyes out because I was, I saw a kid eating alone and I was like, that's not fair. That shouldn't happen. Um, so from a young age, I had such a soft heart. Um, and then also from a young age, just a deep longing to do something with my life. I think this idea of meaning and like living um, a meaningful life, it was not a foreign concept to me at a very, uh, at, at a very young age. And so I was a very inquisitive, but stubborn, um, a young kid that just longed to do something meaningful and also to help others along the way. That's amazing. At what point in your life did you realize that what you're doing now is something that you could do as a career? Mm. Um, well, when I left the NFL, I, you know, I kind of threw away any ideas or agenda of what um, career was going to look like for me. I, I it was a, a survive moment for me where like leaving the NFL, I didn't care about anything else but healing because if I, I knew that if I didn't begin to heal the self-destruction, I would self-destruct to such a degree that I, I probably wouldn't be here today. And 
through that journey, I was just invited. And I remember, you have time for a story? Can I tell you a story? Oh gosh, tell me everything. <laughs> I remember <laughs> in this like three or four years into, you know, leaving the NFL, moving to Canada, sleeping on a basement floor of a church, going to therapy, essentially getting therapy just so that I could begin to heal my life. I was just in this place of like, what am I going to do with my life? Like I have a pretty big gap in my resume now, <laughs> you know? And so I was just going through this journey of like, what is it that I want to do? And I've always had this natural desire to share stories and to share my story. And it needs to be known that up until this time, like three, it was like four years into my journey. I, I haven't made a dollar, right? I'm living off of savings. I'm not necessarily like my entire life is dedicated to my healing journey and also serving this church uh, for that season. And I remember asking and like kind of just holding that question, what do I want to do with my life? Long story short, I got invited to speak at a small church and I went and I spoke at this small church and there's probably 30, 35 people there. And I gave them my all. Like I, it was, it wasn't like me speaking and like, Oh, there's only 35 people here. I'm like, this is an opportunity for me to share my story and to create a transformative experience for other people to help other people maybe feel less alone in their own struggles. And so I'm kind of telling my story and I get done and I go in a stand at the back of the church and I'm sitting there or I'm standing there and just saying goodbye to everybody. And this little old woman, she walks up to me and she's probably like 80, 85 years old. She has a cane, very fragile and so sweet. And she just looks at me and she kind of grabs me by my cheeks and she says, son, like I've heard a lot of speakers come and go in my life and a lot of messages were shared. She said something like, you know, like yours was the most authentic message. And I think like you're called to speak. And then she put something in my hand and then just went on her way. I didn't think twice of it about it. And I went to the car that afternoon after I got done and I was like, oh yeah, that woman, like, what did she give me? It was a piece of paper, pulled it out of my pocket and it was a check for $10,000 oh. on the memo, on the memo, it said anointed to speak. <laughs> and I was just like, oh I'm going to speak <laughs> like I want to share stories and I want to create safe spaces to help people better understand their own stories. Right. There's a quote out there by a German philosopher that says an enemy is just a person whose story we have not yet heard. An enemy is just a person's story whose story we have not yet heard. And I can't help but to think that we are at war with our lives so many of us are at war with our lives and we are our own worst enemy because we haven't yet taken the time to process our own story. And so my job now as a speaker is just to create safe spaces to help people do exactly that so that they can stop living at war with their life. I mean, talk about a sign. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like ask and you shall receive. Holy yeah. moly. So I have a couple questions. How long ago was that moment? Yeah, that moment was back in, I think, probably like 2017, okay. was it 2018. It was probably like I left the NFL around 2012. And I think that was like four, four years into my journey of healing. And then when you say healing, mm -hmm. did you know that healing was an option? Did you like when I feel like I'm fairly deep into my healing journey, but I uh -huh. didn't even know that I when I was seeking therapy or more answers or peace or all of these things that I was healing. 
So <laughs> I didn't know that I, I like just didn't grow up with that term. So is that yeah. something that you knew from a long, like from a young age, or is that, was that concept introduced to you later on in life? It was definitely introduced to me later on in life. I didn't really understand that concept. I just knew that something had to change. I just knew that I had followed this rule book for my life that I was told if I just do this and get there, I'll have what I'm looking for. And I just did this and I got there and I had never been more empty in my life. And I realized, and I had this moment of deep honesty of like, something is missing. Like something is way off here. And I have to go and figure out like, what is this thing that is destroying my life? That's keeping me um, or preventing me from actually experiencing the fullness of life that I could tangibly feel in my heart. Right. I could tangibly feel that there was more, but I could not experience that more. And it created so much despair and so much frustration and so much anger. And then also in the meantime, I'm self-destructing. And so I didn't know I was really necessarily going on a healing journey as much as I was going on a journey, just seeking answers, trying to better understand like what in the hell just happened to my life. What was that thing? Have you discovered it yet? Yeah. I think for a lot of, of a lot of reasons, um, my journey has always been this one of waking up in the life that I have is not the life that I want or worse yet, the life that I know is available. So there's always been this distance, this gap between where I am and where I want to be. And that led me down a journey of doing more, achieving more, being more, constantly more, striving, hustling at all costs. And then I think you do reach this point in your life where you're like, I don't have it in me anymore. I can't move forward. And I think there comes a time where moving your life forward isn't about doing more, but it's learning how to resist less. Mm-hmm. And so this journey, this journey for me to transition that when I was burnt out, full of despair, angry because this gap, this, this void was so real in my life. And it created so much angst and despair and frustration and anger. And so I went on this journey of like, why is this gap there? And a lot of it was building resilience around childhood shame that I had learned at a very young age, how to internalize that shame and use it as motivation. Shame says that I'm not enough. So the fear is always that you're going to be exposed and seen as you're not enough. Let me tell you, the fear of being exposed and seen as you're not enough is one hell of a great motivator, Mm -hmm. right? You'll go to great heights and great lengths to make sure that they don't see the real you because deep down, you're afraid if they see the real you, there's no way you'll accept me. There's no way you'll love me. There's no way I'll find my place in the world if you see the real me, because that's what shame does. It lies about who we are and it tells us that we are not enough. And it took me years down my healing journey to realize that this idea or this experience of it's never enough was actually directly correlated to the shame that I was carrying in my life that said, I'm not enough. So it's not enough is the direct correlation to the shame that says I'm not enough. And so as I started to build resilience and heal these child, these rooted, these narratives rooted in my childhood full of trauma around and created the shame in my life, then I started to experience this sense of enoughness, this, this, you know, this gap between where I want to be and where I am began to dissipate began to dissolve. You are speaking so heavily to little mare and I can't even tell you. (laughs) It's so funny because I feel like that resonates so much with me, like the overachieving and the doing more and the wanting more, especially when I was younger. 
And of course, all the answers are within us, right? Mm -hmm. So at this point in my life, when I thought, oh, I have to now disconnect from everything, I'm going to completely throw away the jewelry thing, like no matter how long, you know, and it's funny because yeah, God's like, dreams. no, jewelry's not the problem. So like yes. more opportunities kept coming and coming my way in the jewelry, you know, arena. And I was like, okay, well, perhaps my approach should change mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. if this wasn't something that I was supposed to be doing, I would be directed completely. Like the door would slam. Yes. Um, it's so fascinating. What does self- Well, can I say something to that real fast? Oh my gosh. I think we, our tendency is to demonize the things that are closest to us, mm -hmm. right? Our tendency, my tendency was, I wanted to demonize football and say football is the issue. Like how many of us are in relationships where we're being activated or triggered constantly and we didn't demonize our spouse or demonize our partner, right? Or we demonize our company and we say, this is the issue. But we have to begin to realize that all of this is just a fucking mirror. And it's mirroring back to us, right? What's our internal state? What are the narratives? What are the thought processes? What are the belief systems? What are the, the unhealed trauma? And so all of this now, when you can move beyond the demonization of something and see it as a mirror, now all of these things just become a gift. And this actually postures our heart in this deep gratitude that, wow, life is hard right now, but it's such a gift because it's mirroring back to me the work that I get to do now. I was told by one of my um, intuitives and healers that w some of the most intense mirror work that we do is with our partners. So I would love to talk, <laughs> Caleb's like <laughs> nodding his head aggressively. Um, I would love to talk about, you know, Caleb pre-Cara Caleb oh gosh, yeah. in, in, a, in relationship with Kara and then also Caleb preparing to be a parent. <laughs> oh my gosh. Can you believe that? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm so ready for anti-duty. You have no yes. idea. I would like, I'm volunteered to be on speed dial. I'm so <laughs> ready to be on anti-duty. Kara and I were talking about that and I had such a deep sense of gratitude, like just deep sense of appreciation and gratitude. I was like, this baby is not even here yet. And it is so loved. So loved. so loved and we just feel so overwhelmed and grateful for that. Um, but to go back to your question, Caleb pre Kara was, and are you talking about specifically in the context of relationships? Mirroring. Yeah. So I think sure. relationships, I grew up in a family. Um, so our, generally your primary caretaker creates the attachment style that then you go on and live out inside of relationships. And so very simple, there's so many different types of attachment styles that you can go really deep into. And I think attachment theory work is so incredibly important for your overall personal growth. And also when you understand attachment styles inside of a context of a relationship, you can actually have more constructive conversations when things get heated, instead of just you know going back and forth and placing the blame and pointing the finger kind of stuff. And so I grew up in a home where my mother was um, very frantic, very, uh, anxious. Um, I was always kind of on high alert and waiting for that shoe to drop. Right. And my mom was primary, like my primary caretaker, my diet, my dad was constantly working. So I spent a majority of time with my mom and the, her always on edge and her un, inability to no fault of her own, really her inability to be able to manage her emotions. Well, right created such an angst in me. And that created a very anxious attached style, right? I'm very, I was very anxiously attached. And so what does that look like now fast forward 25 years when Caleb is an adult and he's in relationships, I would constantly be 
in relationships with, uh, with people who would trigger, who became avoidant. I always dated avoidant because we usually date the type of attra- attachment style that we need to help heal us and move more towards secure attachment, right? So if I'm anxious, I, I attracted a lot of avoidant people. And so when an avoidant person or, you know, the girl that I was dating at the time would come into my relationship, I couldn't, I would be constantly anxious if she didn't text me, right? Or if she didn't call me or she didn't check in or she didn't let me, that would just mirror to me this chaos of just like little Caleb having a panic attack, little Caleb having a freak out, right? Because I needed to have certainty. I needed to have control. And so I think a lot of my relationships leading up to Carol really mirrored back to me this, this small little boy inside of me that threw temper tantrums to make sure that he still had control, to make sure that he could reduce uncertainty to the best of his ability, right? And so it was, it was interesting because I always attracted and I always dated, I think, and I don't say this in a demeaning way, I always dated, I felt like women who were one, like maybe season of life behind me. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't mean that, like, cause I don't think life is linear like that, but maybe they weren't operating at the same level of consciousness as I was. And again, that's not a demeaning thing. And I did it intentionally. I learned this later on it, but I did it intentionally because I could better, um, satisfy, I could satisfy the anxious attachment in me. Cause I could use words that would lead to me controlling, to holding on, to white knuckling the relationship, to make sure that like, oh, like you're one level behind me. I could better control this versus having a woman stand in her power and being like, fuck you, like this is your (laughs) shit. Like you deal with this shit, right? Does that make sense? Totally. Um, And so that was my experience leading up to Kara. And I think so much of my experience, actually the relationship before Kara was such a massive turning point because I could really see that when anxious attachment hit me, like when I could feel that I could just see now I could objectively see this as small little Caleb having a panic attack, freaking out, just completely scared. And then I really learned how to self-regulate and self-soothe and really learn how to calm my central nervous system right? When I was feeling anxiously attached and that would be a visceral response in my body where I would just like want to freak out and I could like tangibly feel it in my body. But then after years of doing work and then this last relationship, that was the first time that I was able to actually not leave myself. I was able to actually objectively see this panic that was happening in my body, learn how to self-soothe, learn how to self-regulate my central nervous system and calm myself and then be present when I would have a conversation. And so that, I think, led me, uh, I think that actually created a space for Kara. That created the space for Kara. And there's something about Kara, my wife, my partner, um, she's the safest person I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. And now in our relationship, I, there is no anxious attachment. I think we're both very secure. Um And we can now have very constructive conversations when we don't see eye to eye on something. But the one non-negotiable, I'm talking a lot, the one non-negotiable or the one common denominator that I think makes our relationship thrive um, is that we protect the emotional safety of our relationship at every cost. We protect the emotional 
uh, safety of our relationship. This relationship is an emotionally safe space. And we do that with the language that we use. We do that with active listening. We do that with holding space. We do that in so many different ways. Um, so I went from a very anxious attached to finding myself in a very secure and safe relationship. I will say that observing your guys' relationship has been kind of a sigh of relief. I'm like, oh, look, a mature relationship with two young <laughs> folks, you know, and we're in like the same generation. I'm like, oh, how evolved, how refreshing. Like, <laughs> like it to me, it's just given me, I don't want to say hope because I know that that a version of what you guys are experiencing is a reality for so many people, but I just hadn't seen it for myself. It, it just, for me, it just gave me peace mm. for you guys, but also as, you know, someone in your life and as someone who is, you know, still seeking, you know, my life partner, it's, it's been, it was, it's very refreshing to see you guys Thank you. love each other <laughs> in the way that you do. Thank you. Truly. No, truly. Um, what does self-care look like for you? That's a good question. Um, it is a buzzword, but I want to kind of unpack it because I feel like your response to this will be fairly unique. I think a lot of people's tendency is to reduce self-care to an afternoon massage or mm-hmm. nail appointment or taking time. And I think that's all good. But I think there is still a performance-driven approach to self-care when it's still about going and doing something. Um, I think there's a deeper level of self-care and that's really learning how to respe- respond to the parts of us that we so quickly want to reject and really learning how to respond to those parts of us with deep compassion and gentleness. So I think for me, self-care is, I love a good massage, right? I love going to and taking an ice bath or whatever it might be. I think self-care for me is really learning how to in the moment, deploy the self-awareness that's needed to practice radical compassion and to befriend myself when my natural first instinct is to be mad at myself or to hate myself or to be angry with myself. It's getting over that and just moving into this place of like really learning how to befriend myself. So you're deploying compassion for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those moments where I make a mistake or I say something or I'm, you know, I I don't reach this mark that I was aiming for. Like my natural response is to be mad at myself. My natural response is to say, Caleb, you're better than that or to say whatever it might be. But now it's deploying the self-awareness and learning how to say, oh, wait, no, this is self-care. Learning how to respond to myself with radical compassion. Is it easier or more difficult for you to be compassionate towards yourself versus others? No, I think it's always easier to be compassionate towards others, right? We, we are, we're the hardest on ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's natural. I think that we have been taught to believe that the way we move our life forward is to be hard on ourselves, right? And I think be, a lot of ways we're a fear-driven culture, right? And it's this fear of never being enough, the fear of missing out, the fear of not making enough, whatever it might be, fear has been the leading motivator behind our lives. And I think along with that is holding ourselves to these ridiculous standards and then crucifying ourselves when we don't meet these standards. But there is going, always going to be a direct correlation of how I treat other people as an indicator of how I treat myself. Amen. What does your spiritual practice look like? Mm. 
it, it, it can vary. Um, I think some days it looks like me being on a walk in the woods and hearing the birds and smelling the flower and watching the caterpillar walk slowly across the path. Other days it could be sitting in my room and practicing stillness, practicing being present. Other days it could be serving my neighbor and bringing them a plate of cookies. I think anything that leads me into a deeper sense of presence. And so I talk a lot about this idea of a wholehearted presence where we have our, our mind space, our heart space and our body space all present together. And when we're all present together, we're living in this present moment. And in the present moment, we experience the oneness of life. Like the gurus of all the ancient texts and all the ancient wisdom is so right. Like the ground that we've been trying to attain this entire time is the ground that we've been standing on this entire time. But we can only see that when we're living present, right? And so whenever you can take your mind space, whenever you can begin to observe your thoughts, and quiet that monkey chatter, right? Whenever you can now go into your heart space and what heart space is, is choosing conscious love and keeping your heart open. And then your body space, learning how to move the energy through your body, through breath work or meditation, whatever it might be. When you're present in all three of those eight ways, you're living in this wholehearted divine presence. And in that wholehearted and divine presence, I think you experience the presence the spirituality of, the, of what makes life so magical and beautiful. Mm-hmm. What is your practice when it comes to your faith? I think it's exactly that. I think um, I have moved beyond just mere belief systems for faith. Um, and kind of my faith is, uh, is the practicing being present. Anything that's ax- asking me to leave myself um, anything that's asking me to move beyond this present moment, I am deliberately trying and intentionally trying to uh, become more aware of. And as I become more aware of those things, I live more in alignment, more in the present moment. Um, and I think that's how I would define faith and spirituality. Love that. I only ask because people do have different interpretations of that mm-hmm. faith, spirituality, religion. I think that they are related, but unique. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that my faith has moved beyond trying to escape a hard situation. Like growing up in the Bible Belt of Texas, evangelical world, like my faith used to be about like believing enough or worshiping enough or praying more to get me out of my present circumstance. Now I see faith as learning how to sit in the darkness for as long as it takes. Mm. I'm not trying to move this darkness. I'm not trying to move beyond this darkness. I'm trying to radically accept this darkness. And that's really what faith is now. I love that. I love that. I grew up Catholic. And so similarly, different, but similarly, you know, I was beholden to, you know, the Bible and routines and rituals and, um, you know, the religious calendar, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And now my practice looks a lot different. Yes. Grateful for it, but it does look a lot different. Yes. Same. How does one prepare to become a parent? (laughs) (laughs) Asking for a friend. (laughs) 
You know, it's been so interesting is I have obviously as I have grown and healed in my life and as I become more consciously aware of my life and have been navigating life more consciously, I obviously look back and like, I want to parent differently than the way that I was parented. Right. And I had lovely parents. Right. But they also in their parenting styles, unknowing to them at the time, like created a lot of damage that I've had to systematically work through on my healing journey. And so I've been like, man, I, I, I want to parent differently. You know, what's crazy, Marin, is that as I begin to engage, for example, I recently had Julie Lithcott Hames on my podcast. You're doing a good job. And she was talking about her New York Times bestselling book. And it said um, it was all about, um, well, oh crap, I'm having a blank on the book. It's basically breaking free or raising an adult. That's what it's called, raising an adult and breaking free from the overparenting trap. Right. And as I'm reading this book and having conversations with her, I'm look at Kara and I'm like, Kara, we're fucked. And she's, like, why? <laughs> and she's like, why? And she's like, and I was like, because my like I'm going to overparent. Like I can as I'm reading her book and as I'm having conversations with her now, she's describing what overparenting looks like, it's in my bones. That's my natural inclination on how I will parent because that's the way that I was parented. And despite doing all this work, I have noticed this visceral response in my body as I engage with different parenting content that I am now intentionally seeking out. And I'm like, whoa, it's my natural disposition to do this. Even though I consciously am aware that this response is damaging. Right. And so now it's been interesting to me to become more aware of it. And my, and what I'm leaning into is actually taking full account of how my body responds to certain parenting techniques or certain ways and, and adjusting accordingly. Like, I don't want to overparent, right. I don't, I don't want to not make my daughter feel not seen, heard or validated. Right. And so all of these things, has just like illuminated parts of me that still, I think I need to lean into. So I think that's such a gift because this is growth. I might not otherwise be able to taste and experience without having uh, the chance to bring a child into the world. I mean, it's such a beautiful gift. I would love to give a disclaimer. Um, Caleb and his beautiful wife, Kara are expecting. I yeah. am not expecting. I just got a note from our <laughs> producer. That's like, uh, Mary, do you need to like share some news with us? No, no, no. I'm asking for all of the parents and perhaps my future self who will become yeah. a parent. Yeah. Um, but Kara and Caleb are expecting, not that's me. Funny. We just had, we just had a friend. Uh, we, I put a video of us on YouTube, basically telling some of our family that, um, we, we were expecting and one of our friends was on that video and everybody started responding to her because they thought she was expecting <laughs> like no I am not expecting it's my friends Karen and Caleb <laughs> so funny um I do want to move I do, do want to reflect back on you know after you gave that speech in the church to 30 35 people and then you got that so generous check from that sweet old woman what were the next steps that you took um, as far as leaning into your spiritual practice and into your healing practice, but also creating a career? What was the next thing that happened for you? I think through it all, the thing, it can look a million different ways, Marin. I think what we do is we honor our truth at all costs. 
And so I think what I did is going back and still leaning into what was coming up in my life, not trying to make a career, not trying like there was a big point of frustration in my life because I was for the longest time trying to make something happen, trying to build a career, trying to build a brand, trying to put myself out there. And I wasn't ready for that. And so I had to like really, I call it holy frustration between wanting and needing to do something, but also knowing that I need to surrender it and let it go. Right. That's like a very tense, it's, it's holy and it's frustrating as hell. And so I think my journey was just honoring the truth in front of me, whatever that looked like, right. Honoring the, the discomfort or the pain or the narratives that were surfacing that I needed to lean into. And then eventually honoring my truth looked like leaving Canada, leaving the church, honoring my truth looked like walking away from this life that I had built because I knew my heart was calling me out. I didn't know where at the time, but I knew my heart was asking me to let go. So I honor that truth. And then that leads me to Los Angeles. And then in Los Angeles, other things surface, I honor what's in front of me. And I lean into that, right? And I then leave Los Angeles, meet Kara, marry Kara. There's all of this stuff is just honoring the truth, honoring my truth. And that's the beautiful journey about healing is that healing actually reconnects you with the divine wisdom already inside of you to hear your truth, right? And then we have to, and it takes courage, takes time, act on our truth. Because usually when we're following the voice of wisdom, it's going to ask us to step into deep uncertainty, deep unknown, right? And it's going to ask us to let go of the only thing that we might be familiar with, the only thing that we know to be safe in life, even though it's not serving us anymore, we have to let go and we have to step out. And so I think the thing that I did consistently, and that is basically the value system of my life is to follow my truth at whatever cost. And I think that's what, you know, I live by this, what my, what, why my wife, Kara, you know, she lives by that. Um, and I think that's just like what we do. I think we can get stuck in our heads about how to build a brand and all these things. And I think those things are important, right? But what's your truth asking you to do today? Start there, lean there, because your soul, like God has a million and one ways to get you to where you are going. Right. But this is a journey of learning how to rest, to let go, to surrender. Right. And invite in what's meant for you. Right. Because that's the life of rest. And when we can get to this place where we move beyond trying to make our life happen to learning how to be present, aligned, grounded and learn how to rest. And then we invite in the things like that's a whole different experience of life. In my consulting business, I consult people on both business and branding. And that's often what we do is I'm like, what you have is great. Let's completely throw out everything. And I ask them like, what do you want? Mm. Like, what do you want your life to look like? How do you want to feel? What do you want your day-to-day to to look like? Is it hard for them to answer that? Yeah, but I push them. Yeah, it's a hard question, right? (laughs) It's a really hard question when we... When we actually sit with that, like, what do we want? We're, we're struggling and we're fighting for something. But when we ask ourselves that question, we realize that we don't even know what we want. So the work isn't to struggle, to fight, to try to make things happen. But the work is like actually getting clear on what we want or looking at what we think we want and asking, why is that so important? Totally. And I think it all comes down to this concept of permission, right? Like giving ourselves permission to make those changes. Um, like, where is, where are you 
getting your sense of permission from currently that's not really working for you. And I think that with my clients, a lot of times, especially when, you know, I work with people who are alone, meaning like entrepreneurship is a very fulfilling, but often a lonely road. Very. So when you're the one driving the ship, there's very, very seldom is there someone giving you permission. So I think that I just kind of hold people in that way of like, I'm giving you permission to do whatever you want to do. Like, what do you want to do? And it's nothing that I haven't done myself. Um, But I do want to ask you like where your sense of permission comes from. How would you define that? I think it's yours to define. Permission. That's a good question, Aaron. Um, My sense of permission. I think the more that I own my truth, the more I feel like I give myself the permission to do what I want. The more that I own my truth and break free from belief systems that I was taught to believe in or narratives that I was told to believe in. Um, the more I own my truth and I live in the life that I want to live, but the, I think permission is birthed from there. It's interesting because I still have like Kara, you know, she's a seven on the Enneagram. And so she's just like, play, play, play. And she loves, to, and I love this about her. And she's always on an adventure and she always wants to go on an adventure, which I need in my life. So it's so incredibly important. But sometimes she's like, let's go do this. And then my first response, Marin, is do we have permission to like, are we allowed to go do that? She's like, what? And I think I've had to break free. And I think a lot of that comes back to the way that I was raised in church with this idea of submission and submitting to God and like asking permission. Can God give me this or can I have this or all of that kind of way of life? I think church really created this upper limit uh, and barrier when it came to taking permission and just giving myself permission. And I think there's a direct correlation to permission and Mm self-trust. We don't give ourselves permission when we don't trust ourselves. So the more that we own our truth, the more that we learn how to trust ourselves, the more that we'll give our permission or give ourselves the permission to live the life that we want to live. I love that. I listen to Gary Vee a lot because just, I think he's just brilliant. And, um, I have a, a friend who is very high up in his company and just to kind of see someone's like, you know, persona on the internet and to know that that is actually who they are in real life is very, um, very refreshing. But one thing that he Who's says, your friend? Phil Toronto. Oh, okay. I'm good friends with Claude, who is like the chief heart officer of Gary Vee. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Um. Well, I'm sure that Claude and Phil are pals. Yes. Um, But one thing that I really took from Gary is when he's like, when you leave everything out on the floor and you're fully transparent, then no one can come for you Mm. because you're not hiding anything. And that kind of thought came up earlier when you were like, you know, talking about, Mm. um, you know, hiding your truth when you, I think that's, this has come up a lot actually, which is interesting that we're talking about it, but do you remember that scene in eight mile? With Eminem. Have you seen Eight Mile? I have, but it was so long ago. So there's that scene at the very end when he's in that final rap battle and he knows who he is going up against is about to just destroy him. Yes. And he also has to go first. Eminem has to go first. And so what he does is he basically calls all of his own bullshit out. 
Like, I know my mom is this. I know my dad's a drug addict. I know they let, I know, I know. So he basically acknowledged all of the pain in his story and he put it himself out there. And the person that was supposed to battle him in this rap contest had nothing. Right. Like he, he took back his power. Eminem took back his power. Right. And I think it's just such a great illustration of how we can live life is that we surrender our power when we live hiding our truth, when we live hiding our pain. But when we can acknowledge that, when we can see that, like, I've got nothing to hide anymore. I'm not afraid of being fully seen. And that's how we reclaim the power of our lives. So true. So I have a question. I mean, you are a coach, you're a keynote speaker. Do you have coaches and people that you work with? for yourself? Yeah, I actually just made a massive investment in my life um, and hired a new coach. Congrats. Um, could have been a down payment on a damn house, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we make those decisions and kind of like cross ourselves and like, yeah. you know, go for a leap of faith, but they, they always come back. Yeah. Tenfold. I think, I think for us, it was just a, I know that for me to reach a new level of financial income, a new level of, for me to step into a expansive life that I have created this space for. So I think this is important because I don't think that hiring this coach earlier would have been a smart move. Totally. But as we move to Nashville and as I have done so much grief work and let go of these expectations or unmet expectations of what I thought my life would look like which then allowed me to live more present and more grounded and accept where I am at in life today, that energetically created space to invite in something big like our baby coming, but also it's creating space to get to the next level of my career, right? I know that I should be on a stage delivering keynotes at this price. And in order for me to get there, I need to partner with somebody that knows who has been there before, right? I need to partner with somebody. I can't do this alone. And I'm very aware of that. So I just recently invested in a coach um, to help me get there. That's amazing. So you have that for your professional life. Do you also work with anyone for, you know, your personal healing? Yeah, I'm actually, um, I'm so grateful and thankful that a lot of my community, these are the conversations that we have um, on a daily basis. And so there's always opportunities for things to be mirrored back. Um, And if there is something that's being mirrored back to me, I'm currently sitting with something right now that I don't get, like, I don't know why I approach life in this particular way. Um, And I will always, at some point, I've done this consistently throughout my life, will seek out a therapist or somebody that I feel I like can help me unpack this experience in my life. Um, and so along with friends, I'm always trying to find a new therapist. I just haven't done that in, in Nashville. Well, I have an amazing therapist if you want. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> a contact. Um, so now your business is keynotes and workshops your soulfully shifting course and one-on-one coaching and the podcast. Yeah. I That's think I'm, I'm, I'm focusing more on the keynotes. Um, oh. The keynotes will result in um, consulting work. Sure. Um, and so that'll be the upsell package kind of deal. So I think uh, I don't do too much coaching unless I feel like it's a person who I can really um, identify with. 
Um, and I've worked with a lot of, and those people for me are more or less like very high achieving individuals that are the doctors or the neuroscientists or the lawyers. Um, and they are, you know, despite accomplishing all these things in their life, they still are waking up and the life that they have is not the life that they want. Right. And so like, what, how do we, how do we work through and dissolve that gap, that void? Right. And that's work that I've done in my own life. And so I feel called to help and hold space for other people um, on that journey. And so coaching happens for a very specific client. Uh, but right now I'm, I'm focusing on kind of one thing and directing all my energy towards keynoting. It's amazing. Do you have an AM routine or a PM routine that you stick to, or is it more fluid? It is more fluid. Um, but I'm generally an early riser. Um, I, you read so many people and they're like, we, you know, we get up and, you know, we make our coffee or whatever. And then we sit down and we write. It's the first thing I'm sorry. I cannot write in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I have tried to fit myself in that mold for so long, but generally my morning routine and I I'm very like some days I'll wake up and I'll feel like I, I know I need to move my body. Right. I know I need to move the breath in my body. So I sometimes will wake up, grab some mushroom coffee, you know, drink some water, drink my greens, put a little music on and I'll breathe, right? Or I'll move my body. Uh, It's it's not really yoga because I can barely touch my toes, but I'll just move my body in some certain way. Um, Or something I do try to do consistently every single day is 10 minutes of practicing being present. And so I usually use a, uh, from Insight Timer, there are meditations on there by Tara Brock, uh, B-R-A-C-H. And they are very, very great meditations on learning how to practice being present. That's amazing. What is, well, I have two questions. Another question just popped up. What does your, how do you and Kara make space for each other? Like what does, what do your, what does your bonding look like? Um, it's a really good question because we have to be intentional with it because we both work from home. We're around each other all the time. And sometimes we can be like, we see each other all the all, all the time, right? And so like, we don't need to be intentional on creating space for us to connect. Uh, and so I think just getting, making time every day, Fridays, you know, we're done by noon and the rest of the day is for us. Um, and then also being just very communicative with one another on like, hey, I need, I need some love right now, or, Hey, I need um, some affirmation right now. And so I think we do a really good job at communicating our needs. And then also we just create time like our Fridays, which are dedicated just solely to us Um, and the life, like we're, we're getting in this place now. It's, it's, we're dreaming together, like intentionally dreaming together. What do we want our life to look like? Where are we going? Like, what does the perfect day look like for us? What does the perfect year look like for us? Um, And so we're taking a lot of time to create those intentions um, and just being with one another. On that note, my next question for you was what's the North star? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Individually, um, you know, like my speaking will move uh, towards a place where, you know, I am, I've had an incredible opportunity to be speaking in mostly schools and universities for the last few years, all around mental health. Um, but now corporately, you know, I'm, I'm excited that the North Star is kind of like this idea of I am picked up, I'm dropped off at the airport, I get off the plane, there is a car service waiting for me, they bring me to the hotel, there's a welcome package for me at the hotel, right, I speak at the keynote, then they extend my trip two days, 
um, so that I can explore the city with my wife on them or, and, and my child now. Um, and so I do have this very clear energetic feeling of where I'm going in life, but Kara and I are, are just longing to explore life deeply and having the space to do that financially and emotionally. Um, and we also really long to create safe spaces to help facilitate transformative experiences for other people in what way we're still hashing that out. But I think that will always be our North star and doing it in a way, Marin, that we don't lose ourselves in the process. We're not trying to achieve anything. We're not trying to climb anything. Like we just want to honor our truth where we're at. Um, and just help other people along the way and then deeply, deeply enjoy our lives in the process. That's so beautiful. How can we support you? Oh my God, you can buy all my courses. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't even have a course yet. I'm soulfully shifting is one that I'm excited about. Um, I just, I just needed to feel like it's the right time. And so I don't know, just, um, I would love to, if anybody listening to this, you can find me on Instagram at Caleb underscore Campbell. Um, and I love interacting with people, you know, as I pose questions or as I write things, like I love to hear other people's thoughts and concerns or experiences. And so I don't know, I think, uh, the more we can live in community, even if that means across a social media platform, the better off we are. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you and love you so much. So good to see you. Please give Kara and that little bump a big <laughs> hug for me. I hope to I see you guys very, very soon. Yeah, come visit us. Say no more. Done. <laughs> Thanks. See you me. in 10. <laughs> well, folks, it's safe to say that every moment spent with Caleb is meaningful. A huge thankful thank you to Caleb for coming on the show and sharing all of his wisdom. Another thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and our producers at Island City Media Group. If you want to hear this episode again, it's available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We so appreciate you leaving a review to let us know how we can continue to bring you the content that you love. Wishing you all a wonderful weekend. Thank you for tuning in and we will see you next week.
shoes. 